Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your home devotion and prayer may be obtained by clicking on page 12 of the catalog at nelsongifts.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And there's an awful lot of talk, of course, in the news and elsewhere, just everywhere, about health, especially about things like flus during the flu season and how to stay healthy and the health care plan that we're trying to come up with in our government. Well, the Eastern churches have something to offer when it comes to health. I believe we have something to offer the body and the soul. In fact, that's precisely the point. Health begins with the human person. Health is about the human person. Two H words, health and human, they go together. And an understanding of the human person, a total understanding of the human person, is the key to health. And it is the church that understands the human person best. And I'd like to share with you today the way that the Eastern churches understand the human person and what the Eastern churches have to offer in terms of health, health of the whole person, which means there's going to be something for the body and something for the soul, not separated or one at a time or one after the other, but always together. One of the things we offer is a certain rhythm throughout the year of fasting and of feasting, in other words, of celebration and also of abstaining or preparation. And this actually is very healthy for you because you see our bodies, our body person, meaning our soul and our body together, acts on a kind of a rhythm. In other words, it needs times of engagement, times of, shall we say, indulgence, as it were, and times of pulling back, times of abstaining or sort of winding down. There is a sort of a bell curve rhythm to the whole liturgical year in the church where we have kind of a rising action. We have a sort of a buildup to something. Then we have the climactic point, like the feast day itself. And then we have then sort of the falling action, sort of gradually moving away, which we often call the post-festive period. And this is actually a very natural rhythm of life. Oftentimes believe and say that the bell curve is the sort of the, the curve of life. It is the curve of health, of well-being and integration, because it, it works like this. You move into something, which makes sense and is good for your body and your soul. We just don't charge into something. You move into it, it rises, there's anticipation, and then there's the moment itself, the joy of that moment, the climactic moment, and we just don't then fall off a cliff. We don't go cold turkey. We have to kind of rise gradually away from that until we then come to resolution, only to go and do it all over again in that beautiful rhythm. Well, that's the rhythm that the church uses, and it's particularly the case in the Eastern churches, especially during times like this. See, we're going to enter a fasting period in our church. In the Latin rite, it's known, of course, as the Advent season. In the Eastern churches, we use that term uh, to an extent, but largely it's known as the Philip's Fast. 
This actually begins on November 15th, which is the day after the Feast of St. Philip. Sort of begins on that evening, the 14th, really. And it just happens to be the feast day of the, of the apostle Philip. And so that's why it's called the Philip's Fast. The fast itself doesn't really have anything to do with Philip per se. It just begins on his feast day, so it's kind of memorable. And it goes for 40 days. If you notice, if it starts on the evening of the 14th of November, 40 days later is, of course, the day of Christmas Eve. So what we do is we move into this highly climactic period of our Lord's incarnation, Christmas, as it were. We do so with that beautiful bell curve, that beautiful bell rhythm. And we do so in the Eastern churches in particular by fasting, by abstaining, by sort of pulling back. Now, our holistic medical people will tell us about how fasting is actually good for the body. It's actually very purgative. Well, that is true. And the fathers of the church knew this. They also knew that fasting is good for the soul as well. Remember, the soul and the body always go together. That's especially true in the Eastern church. It's very, very integrated spirituality. You never really can separate body and soul. We're always that composite. So fasting is a way of actually strengthening the soul. And if you can fast, you strengthen things like your willpower, your self-discipline, which then makes you a more spiritual, more whole, more honest person, a person more integrated, more adjusted, more able to apply yourself to other things, be able to abstain from other kinds of temptations. So the fasting is actually good for the soul and for the body. Naturally, it cleanses the body. In fact, we need times of fasting and abstaining to sort of cleanse the body, as it were. But it also helps us to, yeah, you know, lose some excess, as it were, (laughs) excess eating, excess weight. It's not a diet, but it certainly can uh, help in that regard. There's no problem with that. There's no shame in that because it's good for the body. Fasting is good for the body. And in the Eastern churches, we have major fast periods four times a year, and there's other ones interspersed between. And during the week, Wednesday and Friday are days of fasting for us as well. Now, during this Philip's fast, it's a voluntary fast, actually, and the way it is practiced is it is a fasting from meat and dairy products at least three days a week. But you can fast the entire 40 days if you'd like, although you don't have to. It's not stressed quite as strongly because it's not the great fast, which is the period of Lent. But nonetheless, it is a fast. It's a period of preparation. The way we prepare for something is we clean house. If you knew you had a great guest, a special guest coming over, what would you do? You'd be really concerned about whether the house is presentable. You'd run around and try to clean up, clean house. Well, it's the same thing with us spiritually and physically as we await the coming of the great guest at Christmas time, Christ the bridegroom, who's going to come into our midst. So we sort of clean house. And the best way to clean house is to fast, to pull back from indulgences. Now, I know this kind of flies in the face of what is normally done during our culture at this time, because our culture kind of goes the opposite. It kind of sees this time as a joyous time, a joyous season, which is okay. But unfortunately, that joy means let's party a lot. Let's indulge a lot. And sometimes I think by the time we get to Christmas, after all the office parties and Christmas parties of every organization we belong to, it seems like they all have to have their Christmas party, quote unquote. By the time we get to Christmas, I wonder if we aren't already saturated We're certainly a few pounds heavier. Well, the church comes along and says, no, this is not a time to indulge. It is a joyful period. In fact, that's a very strong theme in the Advent celebration, Advent observance of our Latin Rite brethren. Advent is a time of joyful anticipation, but it is also a time of pulling back, of fasting. And in fact, our Latin Rite brethren use the color purple during Advent, and that is actually a color of penance, of repentance. 
of fasting, of cleansing. We have a similar color in the Eastern Church. We use deep purples or black or red. In other words, dark colors, as it were, dark, rich colors, which again point to the same thing. They point to a period of pulling back, of repentance, of penance, of fasting, of abstaining. Why? To cleanse ourselves, to prepare ourselves, to make ourselves a more and more worthy receptacle, as it were, to receive then the coming Christ. And the joint part comes in by the fact that the more you fast and observe penance, the more repentant we are, the holier we become, the more honest we become, the more open to Christ we become. We kind of make a special holy place for God, as it were, in our souls and in our bodies when we fast and do penance. And so although the fasting and penance kind of has a sorrowful dimension to it, at the same time, and always it's this integrated approach, it's always the both-and approach, at the same time, while we're sorry for our sins, we should shed the gift of tears for all of our sins, at the same time, we grow in happiness. Because as we open up our souls, we open up our bodies, our whole selves, by abstaining, by repentance, that opening is like a vacuum into which God will come, to which the grace of the Holy Spirit can come. So in this sense, fasting is also a joyful period, both in the East and the West. During this time, though, there is increased, as always, increased prayer, increased church attendance, and there is, of course, above all, encouragement to receive and participate in the sacrament of reconciliation. People often ask me, Father, how often should I go to confession? And I give them this answer. Again, I pull from the wisdom of the church, never my own opinion, my own thought. It's always about the wisdom of the church. I reach into that wisdom. I look at, well, what does the church say about that? The church says rock bottom minimum once a year, and that's during the great fast of the course of the time of Lent. But beyond that, especially the Eastern Church, since we have four fasting periods, four in a sense lesser Lents, the answer to the question would be go to confession at least during those fasting periods. Whether you feel like you have to or not, it's always a good way to, to just clean out, to kind of reconnect with our spiritual North Star. It's a way of being honest to ourselves, a way of kind of reflecting on ourselves and seeing where we're at, where we really need to go. We may not have done anything that sinful, but it's a way of sort of checking in on ourselves and and keeping honest with ourselves. You know, one of the biggest problems we have today is we live lives that are non-reflective. We don't reflect on ourselves enough into how we really are, how other people see us objectively, kind of pulling back as though we can go step outside of ourselves for a moment and look at ourselves more objectively, the way others might see us, in a way God might see us. So confession is at the top of the list of any fasting period, along with other ascetical disciplines, one of which is increased spiritual reading. I'm going to talk a little bit about that with you when we return on Light of the East. Light of the East will return in a moment. In order to continue Light of the East's mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Wheelcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wheelcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491.
You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $10 or more to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. The Monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery, located in the deserts of Southern California, together with their sisters, Holy Theophany Monastery in Olympia, Washington, are dedicated to restoring traditional Eastern monasticism in the Catholic Church in contemporary America. The monks also serve the Church through their Anastasis Project, an ecumenical ministry dedicated to bringing Catholics and Orthodox together so that, in the words of Pope John Paul II, the Church may truly breathe with two lungs. You can learn more about the monasteries and their work, including how to support this vital ministry, by visiting www.hrmonline.org. www.hrmonline.org. And now, back to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. I left off by saying that during the fasting periods, in the, especially the Eastern Church, we do things in addition to fasting. We do things like, of course, a top of list, going to confession, sacrament reconciliation. We also have increased prayer, and sometimes the calendar of the church helps us with that. It, it intersperses special feast days of saints or other memorable feast days for the life of the Virgin Mary or Christ. But also I mentioned spiritual reading. One of the best things you can do during the period leading up to Christmas, which in the West they call Advent, for us it's called the Phillips Fast, is to actually read a good spiritual book. In fact, at my parish, Renunciation, if you come around my parish, I have what I call our parish blue light special, as it were. It's a little play off on the little technique that the Kmart stores used to use. I offer a book at our church and offer other items for Christmas, as it were, Christmas shopping, things that are not materialistic, but things that actually help build your soul and your body. And one of those things is always a book or two that I recommend for people to read as part of their spiritual reading discipline during the preparation leading up to Christmas. And I want to recommend, again, a book I've talked about on this program and I'll continue to talk about because I think it's just a fantastic book. It's very, very moving and gives you a tremendous insight into the situation of the Eastern Catholic churches, those who were centered in Central Europe, 
during the time prior, during, and after the domination of the Soviet Union, in other words, under communist oppression. And this book is called Finding a Hidden Church, Finding a Hidden Church by Father Christopher Zuger, Father Christopher Zuger. And you can get it from ecpubs.com. That's actually Eastern Christian Publications, but the website is ecpubs.com. Highly recommended. Moving, moving stories about the heroic faith of the people of my church. Some of them, even my own blood relatives are mentioned in here. The heroic stories, such as like Bishop Theodore Romja and Bishop Goidich, who were recognized by John Paul II as blessed, you know, on their way to sainthood. The heroic stories of these men, of these martyrs under communist oppression are very, very moving and very inspiring and something that would be just marvelous fireside reading. So during these cooler days that are ahead of us, kind of curl up with a good hot cup of coffee or tea next to a fireplace and open up this book. And I guarantee you'll be absolutely inspired. You'll be moved to tears. I know I have been. And it gives you a tremendous glimpse into the, not only the heroism, the faith of these individuals, but it gives you a glimpse of the dedication, the devotion that the Eastern Catholic churches have towards the Pope of Rome, towards their place of being in union with the Western lung of the church, although they themselves are from the Eastern lung of the church. Oftentimes I'm asked, well, you as a Byzantine Catholic, I mean, what is, what is that? Is that really Catholic? Well, there is no greater love has anyone, as Christ says, than they lay down their life for their brother. You will read in this book the incredible accounts of people, my own flesh and blood, who laid down their life out of devotion, not only for Jesus Christ, the gospel, but for the Pope of Rome, for their status of being part of the Catholic Church. So again, part of your Philip's Fast Discipline, if you want to join us here in the Eastern Churches and try it out, is fasting from meat and dairy products at least three days a week, increased attendance at church, increased acts of charity, of course, always, more personal time of reflection, and more time for spiritual reading. And again, the book we recommend, Finding a Hidden Church, by Father Christopher Zuger, that you can get from ecpubs.com. Now, I mentioned the liturgical calendar also gives us some help along the way in in moving up this bell curve to the climactic moment of the Incarnation. And the time between the beginning of the Philip's Fast, or around that time, around the time of the beginning, through to Christmas Eve, is rather richly punctuated with special feast days. Like, for instance, on Sunday, November 8th, is the Feast of St. Michael and all of the archangels. And this is what we sing about the angels. This is from the liturgical text from the prayer of the Byzantine Church for November 8th. With flaming lips, the cherubim extol you, O Christ God, and with immaterial mouths, the choirs of archangels loudly extols your glory. Michael, the captain of the heavenly powers, unceasingly offers a song of victory to your glory. He has prepared us today for this feast, so that even with lips of clay, we may worthily sing aloud the thrice holy hymn, as it is in the Psalms. All creation is filled with the praise of you, O Christ, for this reason, you give great mercy to the world. We have many, many prayers like this. And if you notice, the praise in the Eastern Church are veritable theological exposés, which become then the words of our heart. In other words, we sort of say our theology, we sort of chant our theology in the Eastern Churches. And angels are very important to us, especially in our liturgy. We mention angels all the time in our liturgy. And if you come to Annunciation Parish, if you're wanting to attend a liturgy or just visit, our doors are open every day, seven days a week, just stop by and visit. You'll notice that the angels are painted all over the place, One of these days, I'm going to count them to see how many there are. Because angels in the Eastern liturgy in particular 
are the sort of the vehicle that makes God present to us. They're sort of the go-between. They help to bring heaven down to us. And during the liturgy, we actually join forces with the angels. We sort of take our place alongside them. We kind of rub up against them shoulder to shoulder. Maybe I should say shoulder to wing in the divine liturgy. In fact, we even say things like, let us to mystically represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn to the seraphim. In other words, we actually, in a sense, become, sort of graft ourselves right onto the angels who are engaged in the ongoing heavenly liturgy in heaven, as we read about in the book of Revelations. And we become actually part of them, as it were. We really do. It's a, it's a mystical reality. We actually step up next to them during heaven as they bring heaven down to us. It's sort of a meaning point. In fact, if you enter my church, usually struck by the ceiling, the icon of the ceiling, which is one icon, the entire ceiling is one icon, and it's typical of the iconography on the ceiling of many Eastern churches. What you'll see there is a huge, looming icon of Jesus Christ called Jesus Christ Pantocrator, which means all-powerful ruler, the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and was and always will be. And that is symbolic of Christ, the ruler in heaven, when everything is summed up in Christ at the end of time. He is the Alpha and Omega. But surrounding him, you will find this chorus of angels. And in the hands of those angels are carried the exact same items that you will see carried and used in our divine liturgy, which is our Mass on Sunday. This is because what's happening on the ceiling is really a mirror, as it were, of what is happening down below on the floor of the church with all of us together, and vice versa. What's on the floor of the church is imaging the ceiling. In other words, we enter into the heavenly liturgy, the ongoing heavenly liturgy, as we enter the church. And the connecting link between us and heaven are the angels. That's why angels are really really important for us in the Eastern Church. I'm forever referring to the angels. Now, also during this time, the Philip's Fast, on a liturgical calendar, we have the great feast of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. And it's kind of interesting that in the liturgical text for St. Michael that you just read, there's a little hint of this feast to come. Because right after the text I just read to you, there's a text referring to this upcoming feast day, which is many days later on November 21st. The text says this, Today the Theotokos, the temple that is to contain God is being escorted into the temple of the Lord, and Zechariah receives her. Today the Holy of Holies greatly rejoices, and the choir of angels mystically celebrates this feast. Let us also celebrate with them and cry out with Gabriel, Rejoice, O full of grace, the Lord is with you, and he grants us great mercy. Now, as always, that little text was full of meaning. You notice how it combined the Feast of the Angels with the anticipation of the Feast of Mother of God, and it brought us along with it? It says, Today the Holy of Holies great rejoices, and the Choir of Angels mystically celebrates this feast. Let us also celebrate with them today. See, again, like I was saying earlier, we take our place among the angels in the praises of God. This verse started out with the word today. It's very significant. Because although this is talking about a feast that's going to come a few weeks later, it starts to enter us into, by this word today, what we call Kairos time, a, a time that's very, very favored among us in the Byzantine church and Eastern churches. It's sort of a timelessness where the past, the present, the future all sort of amalgamate together, they become as one. Different than our Kronos time, our chronological time that we experience on earth. We're used to past, present, and future. Well, in the Kairos time, the time of liturgy, in the time of the next life, all of that sort of breaks down into one. The past becomes the present, the future, etc. And so we use this word today to signify that. 
and we celebrate something as though it has no time. Even though this feast day of the Mother of God is going to happen in time later on, a few weeks from now, we sort of break down that time barrier. We sort of start to already talk about it as though it's beginning to happen now. So we sort of we transcend those boundaries of past, present, and future, and all all the time becomes one. There are a number of other feast days, such as the Feast of St. John Chrysostom, St. Josephat, and also St. Matthew, the Apostle and Evangelist, that are interspersed during this great time of the fast of St. Philip, known also in the Western Church as the Feast of Advent. A rich time to enter into that bell curve, that rhythm of the Church, as we prepare for the coming of our Lord. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.